Welcome to Consumed, the podcast about people who eat things, drink things, think things, and make things. So, you know, everybody. I'm Jamie Lewis, and this seventh season, I speak with folks across California, from Chico to Santa Barbara, Humboldt and Grass Valley to Los Angeles. But always at the heart of it is the Central Coast. I hope you get to hear them all. Thank you for listening. Many thanks to my friend, James Onaveros for supporting the work of this podcast. James is the force behind the family of wines known as Ranchos de Anaveros in the Santa Maria Valley. And because all of our friends in the food and drink industry need a boost right now, I'm going to talk about how you can get your hands on some of his wine this winter. For the holidays, wine is the perfect locally made, handmade gift that directly supports those who work to produce it. And for January 1st and beyond, Drinking beautiful Burgundy-inspired Chardonnay and Pinot Noir is the perfect way to celebrate what we're all hoping is a kinder and gentler year. Visit the website for information on how to order Rancho Steanaveros wines, which can be shipped or delivered to your porch for free if you live around Santa Barbara County. To see what's available and to make your order, visit ranchosteanaveros.com. Cheers! Consumed is also sponsored in part by Slow Life Magazine, which has been sharing the stories of the San Luis Obispo community for over a decade. I write the food column for Slow Life, and most recently I covered dishes made from ingredients that aren't always common here on the Central Coast. I'm considering writing about Bao's steamed buns for the next column, but what do you think? Hit me up on the contact page at letsgetconsumed.com with your ideas for what to cover next. And if you want Slow Life Magazine delivered to your door every other month, visit slowlifemagazine.com. Anyone who knows my hometown of San Luis Obispo knows Mi Hang Lo, the pint-sized Chinese restaurant on Palm Street. The building is one of just a handful in Chinatown and one of only a very few that hasn't changed much in the last couple decades. For over 40 years, the Jin family owned and operated Mihang Lo, led by Gao Jin, a man who immigrated to the U.S. from China in 1917. Gao Jin is the grandfather of Mike Jin and great-grandfather of Andrew Jin, who worked together to write a cookbook about the beloved San Luis Obispo restaurant and their family. The original printing sold 1,700 copies and raised $16,000 for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. In addition to recipes, the most recent printing now includes stunning food photography by Andrew Jin, as well as remembrances, stories, and historic family photos. The morning I spoke with Mike and Andrew, they had just sold their final copy of the new edition. But here's a hot tip. If you're listening before December 6, 2020, you can order a copy from the next print run in time for holiday gifting. Look on the show notes for this episode to find out more. And in the meantime, enjoy my conversation with Mike Jin and Andrew Jin of Mihang Lo in San Luis Obispo, California. Andrew Jin and Mike Jin, I'm so happy to see you at my in my bizarre backyard, <laughs> my COVID backyard with everything crazy. I mean, and better project. than a Zoom call for sure. It. Let me just say, it's so much better than a Zoom call. I'm so over those. Yeah. Do you have to do those a lot at Farmhouse? Uh, I don't. We are lucky to be in a office building taking lots of precautions. But yeah, um, yeah I did a Chamber of Commerce Zoom call this morning. So that was like oh seven pages of people. Oh, seven pages. pages. Like, how are we even talking about people anymore? Pages no. of people. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, no, I, I have tons of Zoom meetings and I've, I've produced a bunch of meetings too. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little Zoomed out. We are all Zoomed out. 
Mike, what do you do up in Northern California? When you, if you were at a party and somebody said, I do this, what do you do for a living? What would you say? I work for a large commercial insurer mm-hmm. and, and I work in our risk management department. So I manage a group of what, 24 people across mm-hmm. the Western US and, and we work with commercial contractors. Okay, yeah. And Andrew, what would you say if somebody asked you? Uh, social media marketing is probably the easiest thing to say. Um, I wear a lot of hats, photography, graphic design, social media, marketing, communication, all mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. But that's not, none of that is why we're talking right now. No, we're talking not. right now because Mi Hang Lo is, um, hey, is it Mi Hang? I always say Mi Hang Lo, but is it Mi Hang Lo? Nope, hang. it is Hang. Yep. Oh. Just like it's spelled. Yep. That's correct. Now, if you want to do the joke that we hear, we've heard for decades. Please, let's just go into that. It's, yeah, it's Mi well. Hang Lo, right? Yes, and, right. And, and it's, I remember as a, as a teenager working there, uh, answering the phone, and it was, uh, you know, we'd answer me hang low, and, yeah. and the other end would be, well, how low, low do you hang? <laughs> it's always some type of prank, you know, and, and so, oh, uh, and, and apparently it's quite the um, social media photo opportunity now to, uh, to pose in front of that sign, so, and, and kind of point and smile at it, so. Oh my gosh, well, you guys would know. Oh, that's too funny. Well, I'm glad we got that out of the way because I've always said me hang low and I, and I hear just about everybody else say it the other way. And so I had been curious, but anyway, yes. So you grew up working in the restaurant. I did. Okay. And you, and I were talking about this because you just had um, a redux of your beautiful um, gin family cookbook that is based on what um, your family cooked at Mihanglo for so long. When you were there, it was already the two-story with the pat- uh, the balcony, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because I know that it was rebuilt at some point. It used to look different. Yeah, it was funny. So my my grandfather had some inns in San, in San Luis Obispo, and so if you... If you're familiar with the old restaurant, the the emergency exit on the second floor was basically a, a was a hole cut into a wall, a firewall. Then you you crossed a rooftop of another building, and then you accessed a ladder. Oh my gosh! So, so think illegal. about exactly. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like Insurer. I said, they, yeah. Oh, I mean, it would be awful. There's the main stairway, obviously, but you, you always want to have two points of exit yeah. in the event of a, an emergency, and and so that was our fire escape. And uh, finally, finally um, I don't know who decided that's not, not going to work anymore. So that's when the, the, the remodel happened mm. and they added a second stair, staircase to uh, make it legal. Yeah. Tell me the history of how the restaurant came to be. I know that's a huge question, but, um, you know, what was the first inkling of, of having a restaurant in San Luis Obispo? Well, apparently, I mean, Mihang Lo's been around a long, long time. I think it dates back to the 1800s. Yeah. Um, but my grandfather bought it from my from his uncle. Uncle, I use the term loosely because my grandfather was adopted. So uh, I think that was in mid 40s mm-hmm. is when 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 he purchased it, and um, and the, the, him and um, my his wife Peggy, my grandmother, and then my dad Johnny. They, they basically ran the restaurant mm-hmm. from there, um, and I think they had there. You know, there was a cook as well, mm-hmm. uh, and it was just a small one, um, one dining room restaurant. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, no, there's uh, he. My my grandfather was quite the entrepreneur, though. It's pretty remarkable to think. I mean, he came over. 
um, again, was adopted. He was a cook at a, at a, um, a private residence in Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. which interesting, interestingly enough, we, we were contacted by that family just recently. Really? To learn, and we learned a, little, a lot more history oh, about yeah. my grandfather, which was really fascinating. They must have been close then for oh. them to be in touch like that. It, it was really strange. It was kind of out of the blue. My dad received a snail mail letter that was oh. just, hey, my um, husband used to be watched by your great or your grandfather hmm. back in the day in Santa Barbara. Would you like to know more? We were like, yes, absolutely. Right. So wow. we got several correspondence with them and learned a ton of information about his, you know, the first gins in America, which was wow. awesome. That is so awesome. Yeah. Well, um, Andrew, your part in this, you've spearheaded the this version of the cookbook as well as was it the the first as well so mike launched the first one and i kind of came on board to just kind of (laughs) to to help to help actually get it done because i i I, uh i started it and was all gung-ho into it and they say life happens and then it kind of got shelved for a while yeah it might have been a year, right? I, was, kind of sat. I think the st- very start of the project, was, it was a three-year process the first yeah. time. Oh, I believe it. And this one was a couple months. <laughs> yeah. I, I lit the fire under my own butt for this one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just looked at the old one and thought, you know, what better time than now? People are spending more time in the kitchen than mm-hmm. ever. And a lot of local emphasis on shopping local and supporting local mm-hmm. businesses. So I thought it would just be... A great time to do it and the photos i know andrew you did these i can't believe you did this all in two months yeah <laughs> but the photos we we have so many local cookbooks and they're all so beautiful yours stands out because it's a different style of yes. photography yeah how what would you describe this as what is this style so my background is actually in portraiture photography so food was kind of a relatively new concept to me a few years back um, wow. i got my start with food photography at Farmhouse Corner Market Mm -hmm. in San Luis Obispo. Um, They hired me to run their social media and- Which is gorgeous, by the way. Thank you. You're still doing it? Yes. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, Yeah, so my interest in it has always kind of been from like a more Mm high-end point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of high key, bright colors, just things that I gravitate to other than, you know, the more muted look, which is beautiful in its own sense. But for something like this, you know, Chinese, like red and gold those are the two lucky colors so for me it was just natural to make it as bright as possible and yeah and it really does work um i i I hesitate to say this because i don't want it to come off wrong but it almost looks like stock photography that's how good it is thank you do you know what i mean is that a nice thing no that is a great nice thing um yeah, I worked with one of the chefs at Farmhouse. Um, you photoshopped Kyle. the watermarks off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. I worked with a chef on this one. So, you know, some people were saying, oh, these dishes don't look exactly like when we used to have them. And I said, no, because you were ordering six dishes at a time and we had yes. 20 customers in the restaurant. There's no time to stylize or make it look pretty. You you just eat the good food. It's good food fast. and Yeah. But so this, we actually got to spend a little more time on it, make the ingredients mm-hmm. pop and um, 
Is really it is fun. remarkable, the memory of our customers, though. They will call out details, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. And it's like, this doesn't look like I remember. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I always love the comments, too, that it doesn't taste exactly how I remember. Like, wow, you've got a, an amazing memory if you can yeah. remember 40-plus <laughs> years ago For how sure. it tasted. So I can't even remember exactly how it tasted. That, right. When they say it doesn't taste exactly the same, um, who who was the driver of what came out of the kitchen? Was it was it um i'm forgetting the name now johnny and my my mom anna and anna. Then, and billy my uncle and pat my my aunt so yeah. was there any one person who was really the the final stamp as stuff went out into the into the dining room not really i mean those recipes have been around for a long time although we joke too it's like the the women were definitely drivers of the restaurant yeah, i yeah. mean there's no doubt they were that 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 backbone and really made the place go. Yeah, yeah. So these as you, these dishes were already recipied a few years ago. Um, but then, Andrew, you took over and you put together, I mean, I think so much of what makes this cookbook special is all of the fam- family remembrances. Um, did you learn a lot through putting this together? I mean, about your own family? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So a lot of the um, family content is actually from the first book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of information that we did learn the second time around was about my great grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the couple down in Santa Barbara that contacted us. But yeah, even just looking at some of these old photos and going through, we, for whatever reason, the minute my grandparents got here, they purchased a camera, lived the American dream. Our family is so well documented over the years. It's shocking to me. Yeah, um, yeah we are fortunate to have had some of that technology yeah. that not everyone had, certainly. I mean, we have old reel-to-reel video, too, that I've converted digi- to digital, yeah. which is, is really great to see. And, yeah. again, not not many people have that, you know, th- that that media available to them. No, certainly not. Why do you think that is? Why is it so well documented? I know my dad is a total, he's a total gadget techie guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he loves, I, I, for the longest time, I remember him. He'd listen to music on his headphones. He'd ha- he even had a little Walkman when they first came out. I mean, it was, he, yeah, he just, he just loves gadgets and yeah. to tinker. And so, um, yeah, no, so again, and fortunately we had the means too, right? The restaurant provided for uh, a number of families to be able to afford, uh, you know, again, uh, I mean, who has a video camera in the, Especially an immigrant, too. Right, in the yeah. 70s. Yeah. Really, yeah. When you think back on the clientele, what was it mostly made up of? Was it was it mostly Chinese folks coming in, or was it a, a mix, or was it predominantly white people? Yeah, I mean, the, the Chinese population in San Luis Obispo was not significant. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, no, it was it was predominantly white people for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say too, some of the, the recipes probably got a little bit Americanized, yeah. you know, to, to accommodate that. Um, because it's funny, I have some friends who ran restaurants and they're like, who puts soy sauce in their fried rice? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it tastes good. Right, tastes right. So exactly. Good. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm a pretty good friend of uh, Paul Kwong over in the new space. And we were talking once about that famous sign, the famous Mihenglo sign, and how it says chop suey on it. Can you tell me a little bit about either one of you, the origins of what is chop suey? A lot of people don't know. Well, it's funny. I, when I talk to my dad about it, he's and he he generally says he doesn't eat it because he said from where he came from, chop suey is 
for poor, poor people. Uh-huh. And it's just kind of kind of leftovers of all the vegetables that were available from preparing the meals, just thrown into a wok and, and stir fried. And I mean, that's, there's not a lot to it, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the recipe itself and people are like, oh, you know, we love the chop suey recipe. It's like, I think it's celery, it's uh, <laughs> noodles sometimes yeah, if you have them. <laughs> yeah, there's there isn't there isn't much to it. So yeah. um, it is funny though. Like yeah, my dad's like, Yep, I don't eat it. Yeah. That's so interesting. And I think Paul at one time said there's a difference also in class between noodles and rice. Do you know anything about that? I haven't heard that expression. I think he said that noodles was more it's, for... It's, I'm sure that's a little bit higher for the higher class, yes. right? Right. anyone could have rice, right? And yeah. Yeah. No, that makes some sense, certainly. Yeah. When you were a kid, what did you grow up eating? Oh, my gosh. What didn't I eat? It was amazing. I mean, we had kind of an odd eating schedule, uh, grow, you know, growing up in a restaurant. So, you know, you'd have your cereal in the mornings like, like any other... Uh, you know, American kid would have, but then, and, and lunch too. But then we'd, we'd have a four o'clock meal hmm. because that's when the restaurant had a break. It was closed from 3.30 to 4.30. So we had a four o'clock meal, which it was typically an Amer. it was American food, mm-hmm. um, uh, like fried chicken or uh, hamburgers. It was whatever, the, but everything was cooked in the wok. It was hilarious, right? They'd cook a steak in the wok. Yeah, I love it. Um, and then we'd eat dinner at eight and that would be like, um, you know, they would bring home food home from the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, so no, I mean, gosh, it's funny to hear some of the kids nowadays, you know, with like my daughter, she's, she's pretty good when it comes to eating, but we always talk about having to really try something. You know, not just kind of lick it and say, I don't like it, you know, like really try it. So we, like, I was talking to my siblings about some of the good soup that my mom would make. And uh, our, I think uh, universally the, the deer tail soup was the uh, least liked soup. Um, it was awful, awful. Uh, it was like plug your nose because you had to, you couldn't just pour it away. No. You, you had to eat it and drink it. And, and so, um, no, it ran the full gamut. I mean, we, we, got, we experienced a lot when it came to eating, which I think is, is, was healthy, certainly, yeah. right? I mean, um, there's, there's not anything I won't try um, because of that. Yeah. So. I'm glad to know that the deer tail soup doesn't taste good because I <laughs> because I would think if I knew what it was, I would be like, uh, I don't think I'm going to eat this. But you, you know, you being experienced and tasting so many different things, you also were like, no, not so much. Right. And visually, right. I mean, you, you see, you know, heads on things still. Right. Sure. I mean, I, I know for a lot of people that is that's difficult uh difficult to stomach, uh, yeah. literally. And, uh, you know, we'd open the refrigerator and there was a head staring at you, you know, right. and, uh, just waiting to be cooked. And, uh, uh, so yeah, no, it was a, it was a pretty unique experience, uh, eating mm-hmm. growing up again in a restaurant like that. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about, you know, we've had so much, um, discussion around race, ethnicity, appropriation, things like that lately. And for good reason, I've been thinking about my own response when I, uh, you know, at, when I see a whole fish, actually like a photo in here, a whole fish cooked, I, I, I think, or, or a head in the refrigerator, um, being so very white middle class, 
um, chicken breast and American. Yep. <laughs> yep. And you know, my response to seeing those things has always been, uh, you know, just uncomfortable. And I'm starting to look at that more in the context of being in the dominant culture yeah. as no, hold on a second. This is normal in like 80% of the world to eat every part, not to waste. And, and especially as a food writer, I should really know better than that. Um, but it's powerful that, that desire to see things sanitized, you know, like by sanitized, I mean, like, you know, I don't want to know which animal it's from. I want everything at right angles. And um, that's something to at think right about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's for sure something to think about. So did you ever have kids over to have um, that four o'clock meal or, or dinner with you? At your oh, house? sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But but they would be surprised that it was American food, right? They yeah. think, well, where's the Chinese food? <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. But uh, yeah. And, you know, it's funny getting back to the, your comment about things sanitized. I mean, you haven't experienced really salmon until you've actually had salmon head yeah so there's i mean you think of like the commercial salmon they're really big right and so usually they just cut right behind the gill but there's this wonderful section right below there it's kind of like white uh the skin color is white but the it's 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 just fabulous it's i mean like a delicacy yeah it's so good it's yeah. so good so i was gonna say even finding that whole fish for the photo was a chore you really? know, we looked all over the county to find a piece of fish that would fit the look and fit, you know, the experience of the at-home. Because it was an at-home dish, I believe. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I really wanted to capture it this time exactly how it would have been served back in the day. And so finding one with its head still on was difficult. Where did you end up finding it? <laughs> um, sprouts, surprisingly. Really? Yeah. I looked at different fish markets. A lot of them were sold out of the type of fish. And um, so, uh, Yeah sprouts that is well way to go sprout hashtag sprouts (laughs) not sponsored (laughs) (laughs) new sponsor yeah right um well as far as the way that the cookbook is set up andrew you want to talk a little bit about how that you know there is an at-home section what are the other sections yeah so um for the design this time i worked with one of my friends from college um who we've stayed in touch here and there and he really helped um bring my vision to what I wanted the second book to look like. Um, so when we were reorganizing, we kind of wanted to make it a little little more organized than the last one. So the at-home section versus the at-the-restaurant section was mm-hmm. kind of um, where I made that division this time. Yeah, and I love that because there are some things that are very home-cooked. It's a, it's a, That's where you would find it. For and sure. I think just the flow of this cookbook um, makes a little more sense in terms of making that distinction because we start out with the history of the restaurant and Chinatown and Slow, yeah. lead into the recipes, and then lead into the home recipes, which then takes you into the, like the behind-the-scenes family photos. So mm-hmm. kind of just walks you through the whole book um, and takes on more of a journey this time. Yeah. Andrew, did you, I mean, you obviously cooked up a lot of this stuff, unless you had a test kitchen person. I worked with one of the chefs at Farmhouse to oh, you did. help okay, do them because okay. um, he made a comment about wanting to go to Asia and learn to cook more there Mm. because he had such a fascinating background um and so that that seed planted in my head in july august and then when it came time to doing this i was like there is no way i'm going to make all of these recipes myself Mm. i cannot plate them the way i want them to look and so it just everything kind of just fell into place so who um, is that let's give a shout out to that person kyle baca okay yeah 
nice, Kyle, because everything is just so beautiful. I want to take a minute to tell you a little bit about one of my sponsors. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality products and exceptional customer service. Community-owned Slow Food Co-op buys from local producers, ensuring they offer their customers real and sustainable food. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and environmentally sustainable packaging. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. When it comes to growing up in San Luis Obispo, which is a very, I mean, it's very white here, um, what was that like, as, if I can ask you, as a, as a Chinese kid of immigrants, how was that? You know, it's interesting. I was thinking a little bit about that. And, you know, I think because my family was pretty, very well respected because mm-hmm. of the restaurant and there was that sense of community there, I, I never felt, I mean, there were times, sure, where I think even even to this day, I've, I've faced a little bit of, mm-hmm. of, of racism, you know, but I, I never felt uncomfortable here at all. Yeah, cool. Uh, and so that was nice. I mean, it's, 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 it's a great place to grow up. I think, I think back to my time here, and uh, I certainly enjoyed it. And, you know, retiring here, I mean, would be fantastic. But as we talked about, it's a little bit expensive, right, yeah. to, to get property here. But... No, I, I, um, I really think that, uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed growing up here and I, again, and, and there was never, um, what I would say, you know, there was, there was never any backlash or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know, you know, the, the Chinese history here is, uh, it's a little, there's some, some challenges certainly, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, uh. Uh, overall, it was it was a, it was a great experience. That's good to hear. I yeah. will say, from my understanding, though, um, definitely there were no English second language programs mm-hmm. in place, mm-hmm. um, let alone for Chinese speakers. So, I mean, you are the youngest of the five siblings, too. So, um, you know, for my dad being the second oldest, uh, it was Chinese spoken at home the whole mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. and so a lot of it was a lot of immersion learning for mm-hmm. sure. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I haven't heard anything racism wise directly. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> right. And right. I don't mean to mine for, you know, yeah. your, your gnarliest racism stories. <laughs> I just mean, um, the, I have actually talked to Paul Kwong a little bit about growing up in, um, in England as, uh, the son of Chinese immigrant and him just feeling other, you yeah. know, separate, not, not that anybody would, treat him necessarily differently, although they may have, but more a feeling on the inside of being other. Um, but I love to hear that your family was very much part of the community and, and it was really, uh, no different. Right. Right. Yeah. And I would say during the, the heyday, there were really only two or three Chinese restaurants yeah. here in San Luis Obispo at a certain point, at a certain point it reached to like 12. I mean, it was 12. the saturation level was was awful and that's that kind of is what led my parents to retire too right i mean it was it was the i mean it was just too much it was too much Mm -hmm. i mean for a a town of thirty-five thousand people to have yeah it was 10 or 12 restaurants and uh yeah it was it was a lot of work for not a lot of return yeah that is a lot that's like i don't know 
a restaurant for every six people yeah. or something. <laughs> Math's not my strong suit, but yeah, that's that's a lot of Chinese food for sure. When did they retire? When did they sell the business? I think it was 88. 80, so my grandfather passed away in 86. And, and you know, kind of, I would say the restaurant kind of, you know, kind of tapered off a little bit from mm-hmm. a... From a from a business perspective, because of what we talked about, right, with as many restaurants as as there were, but I think too, you know, um, you know, losing the patriarch of the family was 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 really tough for the family, and and so, uh, and and you think about the work schedule of my parents and my aunt and uncle, it was shocking. I mean, it's you know six six twelve hour days a week, no and for week, how many years? No weekends. Yeah. You got Wednesdays off. And, and, you know, I think to myself, like, you know, when did they have time, have time for themselves? So whenever we closed for vacation, it was to take the kids somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know, to theme parks. And so, yeah, so it was, you know, they worked 30 plus years. I mean, we, we did some math when we did the original cookbook. It's like they worked, you know, more than a typical 40 hour week, you know, 40 year career in in a condensed period of time. So, um, so yeah, it was we I think we sold it. We, they retired in eighty seven, eighty eight. Then another family uh, picked it up, and the, and they ran it for another twenty years as well. Yeah, that's yeah. Do I remember correctly that did your family still own the building? We we yes. still do own. You the building. still do own yes. the building, which yes. is so cool. Right. I also just found out it is the longest continuously running restaurant in San Luis Obispo. No. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we have to boost that. Yeah, I think we're close to historic status on the building. I know the um, Lewis store reached that several years back, but yeah. I'm pretty sure we're coming up on the historic um, Yeah, I think the remodel, though, might have... I don't know if that changed, because yeah. when he when it was converted to the, the, the structure it is now, I think mm-hmm. it was, what, in the 50s? Yeah. What does it take to be... Do you know? What does it take uh, to be historic? I haven't status? looked into it, no. Let's find out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I One of my favorite parts... I am a big fan. I know Andrew sees me talking about it all the time on social media, but Mihang Lo is easily my favorite place to sit down and have a meal in San Luis Obispo. Um, I like it so much, partly because it's casual, but it's, you know, it's still... Um, well, I love that it's next door to... Um, the Palm Theater. There's something very special and very rare about spaces like that, original spaces in San Luis Obispo anymore. And I'm very loyal to things that have um, stood the test of time. But sitting down in the restaurant, it's so clearly what it was from pretty far back. I mean, the fact that there are coat hangers on the booths, you know, old school coat hangers where you can hang your hat or hang your coat or purse or whatever um, with a banquette there. It feels, I've said it to many people, it feels like the West Village in New York. It's just a little, it's like a little hole in the wall place. And then that upstairs is so classic and unique. Yeah. And I love, I love the way Paul has been making good use of that space. Um, pre-COVID anyway. But what do you have to say about the space itself? How much has it changed? Well, like I said, I, I mean, I, earlier I was there pre-second um, store, uh, second stairwell edition. And uh, I, I remember there being rooms where, so the dining, the dining room that faces uh, the street, so with the views, mm-hmm. that used to actually be two bedrooms. 
Yeah. For uh, originally, my my grandparents and my dad were occupied one room, and then a cook occupied another, and then uh, and then then it became. Uh, space for the cooks to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously the the remodel was fantastic. I mean, it really opened that up. Yeah. You were able to, I mean, have this beautiful dining room. And But what I love about the old dining room is the fact that my the, the artwork is still up on the wall that my uncle yes. and uh, I think it was Toby Lewis yeah. did together. I mean, I don't think I appreciated that when I was younger, mm-hmm. but certainly now I think to myself, you know, it's pretty remarkable. And sad thing in the in the remodel, there used to be this, uh, it just like a, like an old man, old wise man painting. It was it was probably four or five feet tall. It's beautiful. We we were able to salvage it, but over time, it's hard to keep a section of wall. Yeah. Uh, and so that Especially unfortunately, yeah, yeah, unfortunately that's not, not with us anymore. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I just, I mean, to me it's, um, you know, the dumb waiter was all, yes. everyone comments about the dumb waiter. That's one of their favorite memories. I remember riding in it many of times as a do. kid and, 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 <laughs> and the, the older siblings torturing me, they you know, between the Oh, they'd stop, they'd stop it and say, okay, we're going to go now until I started crying. <laughs> and, you know, cause I was the play thing. I was the youngest by far. And, um, no, it was, uh, I, I remember when it got a, a motor at, added to it. It yeah. used to be a manual pull, uh, to get the dumbwaiter up to the, the second floor. So, um, yeah, no, there were definitely some changes uh, during my time. Um, it would have been neat to see, certainly, pre... I, we have old photos, fortunately, of, of some of, you know, how it looked. But, uh, yeah, it would have been neat to see that before they added that upstairs dining room, for yes, sure. yeah. Um, what is the age difference between you and your siblings, out of curiosity? So the closest sibling to me is four, about four years older. Yeah. And and then I have, I have a brother who's close to 11 years older than me. Okay. Yeah. Then you've, you were very much the play thing. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Leave him in the middle of the dumbwaiter. Bye. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Andrew, what's your connection to, um, I mean, what is the connection that you sustain other than the cookbook with the space and with the family? Did you grow up in slow? Yeah, I I grew up in slow. Um, I unfortunately, when I was younger, was a very picky eater. Um, it wasn't actually until tasting Will Torres's food at Farmhouse that I really started branching out, like with things I would never try. I mean, I avocado before that was probably like my big venture into crazy <laughs> food job. you know i remember when we first get introduced you to sushi sushi just yeah like, no thank you had to eat it nope. on a bet yeah on a bet wow. yeah so um yeah growing up i didn't really appreciate the delicious chinese food that i was being served on a weekly basis being the only grandchild in town and um getting to have that but throughout the years it's um just hearing the community outreach has been really, really cool to see how many people, you know, my grandparents, my great grandparents, uh, how many lives they've touched and like being a part of the original Chinatown in San Luis Obispo. It's just, it's a really cool thing that not many people can say. And, Mm-mm. um, even jumping on that zoom call this morning, you know, you spot different people and you're like, Oh, I, you know, I met you at this thing. I saw you at this thing. Um, we work together at this. And so that tight knit community is, um, it's more present than ever seeing the response to the book. Yeah. 
Do you ever think about moving away? Have you lived away from here? I have, yeah. I moved to Texas for a year. You did? Wow, yeah. that's a culture shock. Yeah, it was very different. Um, I, I definitely wanted to branch out and I, I told myself, you need to leave slow so you can mm-hmm. come back and appreciate it when mm-hmm. you do. Um, I also lived down in Pomona. I went to Cal Poly Pomona instead oh, of Cal Poly Slow because, again, growing up here, I wanted the change. Um, yeah. The diversity down there was incredible, though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you come up to this campus, and I think it's still 86% white or yep. something like that. And down there, I think it's closer to 40. Mm-hmm. So it was um, it was great experiencing different cultures down there as well. Yeah. What did you major in? Uh, communication. Okay. Yeah. I'm still doing that. Yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. And when you were growing up, you talk about having Chinese food on a weekly basis. Was there a regular dinner that happened yeah pretty much um so my my parents live in live in town and um so we you know town being three miles wide at its longest spot (laughs) it was easy to go over to my grandparents and have dinner at least once a week yeah yeah that's so cool how did the project get started what compelled you to put this together in the first place so for the longest time we've talked about trying to capture some of the recipes that my mom uh, has. And because none of us are, none of us really learn how to cook um, in, the, in the kitchen at, at the restaurant. So it's like, yeah, let's do this as a family project, right? It'll be good to, to and then a couple things happened. We, my aunt passed away mm-hmm. and from a bout with cancer. And so it's like, gosh, my mom's no spring chicken either. And she had her own bout with cancer. So it's like, okay, we, we need to, get moving on this faster than than we figured and so um what started off was just as a little family it was supposed to just be for family right and then i'm not sure if if it was if i had reached out to this facebook page um if i think it's called if you if you grew up in slow dot 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 right yeah and I, i threw the idea out about it and the response was insane and they're like yes please do that cookbook you have to make that cookbook so um yeah it started out i, th- I thought it was going to be you know hey we'll print about 20 of them for family members to have to keep these memories and then i think the first run we sold 700 like so those people who one. said that they would buy one they absolutely did oh yeah, yeah. no it wasn't uh, it was not like a great idea. Oh, wait, you, you want to charge for it? Because that happens. Sure. You know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And then with uh, the Redux here, you did a crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. Uh, um, so actually being able to put my degree to use was great. And around the first time we started selling the book, you know, e-commerce for small businesses was just getting off the ground. Um, what year was that? Was 2015? That? It's five years ago. Okay, yeah. yes. So, you know, there was no, like, it wasn't pick your software, it was find a software. So yeah. this time around, um, the shop is on Shopify, mm-hmm. um, which is a great tool for small businesses. Um, you, you input all of the products you want to sell, you can set pre-orders, you can set all kinds of things, discounts, bundles all of that um so yeah we i I put the word out in late august and the pre-orders started coming in at the end of september and Mm -hmm. so i was able to fully fund the first order with the pre-orders which was great and um Mm -hmm. definitely something that 
especially during COVID and uncertainty, uh, it's great to have the cost covered ahead of time. Yeah. How yeah, because no one wants to end up with a garage full of cookbooks, yes. right? Oh, no. I mean, anytime I've thought about doing uh, any kind of cookbook, that is the last thing I want is a garage full of cookbooks. Yeah. And we, we did self-fulfillment. So, um, you know, my apartment was filled to the brim with orders and I had to call uh, the post office and our regular delivery person came and was like, you're the talk of the downtown office. Uh, no one really <laughs> thought there were going to be 400 plus orders um, coming out of this apartment. It's like, yep. 400 plus uh, orders. Did you fulfill every single I thing? I did, yeah. So you sent me my little pin? Yeah. That is so yep, cool. Packaged and everything. And the pin itself, I mean, the the attention to detail that has gone into this project down to, you know, when I received my stuff in the mail, there's a little old historic business card yeah. with the pin in it. Um, I mean, it's just so beautiful. Um, what was the genesis of doing a little, you know, a little extra thing aside from the cookbook? Yeah. Um, so two things. One of them was I wanted people who, you know, were happy with their first book to be able to, you know, have something to feel like they were part of the second run. So, mm-hmm. um, and I've always loved enamel pins. Same. I think they're, you know, they're the best souvenir at Disneyland. They're mm-hmm. the best, um, it's just an easy thing to collect. doesn't take up too much room. And, mm-hmm. um, there's a nostalgia to them that, uh, I think works perfectly with the look and the feel of all the imagery that we captured. Mm-hmm. So that was a major driving point. And then, um, the pin backings actually for me is such like with a marketing background, having the pin backing that coincides with what the design is, what the book is, mm-hmm. that was important to me. So naturally for the smaller ones, a business card made sense. And we, the, I mean, the artwork on the original business card was so just like, oh, Chinese food, here's a dragon, here's, <laughs> you know, this Chinese font. And yeah. um, so it was cool to take that and be able to, I'm assuming when people open it, they go, oh, I remember that. Mm -hmm. And then the one for the pin bundle, which has the storefront pin, the menu, and the neon sign, that was the mural that Mike was referencing earlier that, um, yeah. Well, something that's cool about it, too, is that it's, uh, you know, the cookbook itself is packaged in such a way and the and the enamel pins are packaged in such a way that it really does appeal to a younger audience as well. So now you've got this historical legacy going Um, and you know so many people might especially people I would say my age and younger very often I'll say that I love eating there and they're like you know I've never stopped in yeah I know about it but I've never stopped in and it's like people get with it um in terms of I didn't I didn't tell you I'd be asking you this so you can abstain for sure but the way that that part of town has changed is pretty significant. Do you have feelings about any of that? I, I, <laughs> I do. On the spot. Uh, certainly. Um, it, it is really fascinating. Uh, we we kind of, our, our joke amongst the siblings is, um, yeah, Chinatown is our restaurant, a Louis uh, store, Chong's old candy store, and a parking structure. Yeah. You know, so I, I kind of alluded to it earlier about how, um, you know, not a lot of Chinese people in San Luis Obispo. Um, you know, I've certainly seen some discussion around railroad construction and, and the Chinese involvement in, with that or lack thereof. I mean, it's pretty controversial. 
uh, subject. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of sad to see the state of, of Chinatown, so to speak, in, in San Francisco. But even, I mean, in, in my time, uh, there certainly wasn't a whole lot. I mean, it was a parking lot, not a parking garage. Yeah. I remember that. Um, and, I mean, there was Shanghai Lo, um, which was just right up the street. And so uh, I know they've captured the old sign in the in the new hotel there which yeah. is which is a cool I, I like that although i'm sure it's confusing for some Super right confusing. <laughs> i was confused yeah yeah i think they switched gears during the project too because i believe piadina was was supposed to be a chinese restaurant eventually okay. um but yeah i i will say that carson butler events does an amazing job at um educating people about the Alois store and Do they? yeah they have some really cool paintings that they've done their website photo is um, like an illustration of the building they really lean into the cultural significance of the building mm-hmm. which I appreciate um, them embracing that aspect of Chinatown for sure yeah. she does a great job with everything she does a great too. job yeah. yeah so I'm kind of not surprised that yeah. she went the distance absolutely with that. yeah well we I, I will share my thoughts because I, I got nothing to lose um (laughs) i was really i was sad to see the hotel go up um i'm happy that everybody's happy i'm happy that it's done but it dwarfs it dwarfs that beautiful part of town um i hope that our (laughs) lumping myself in with you that our part of town that it remains that it you know that it stands the test of time again and again and again and that um, I mean there have been lots of plans to really honor Chinatown in slow and I hope that those plans really come to fruition and that it's you know truly codified in our the map of our city yeah I agree yeah um, let me ask you one last thing about the book on the back there's this beautiful painting who did that John Ramos of course he did yeah. Yeah. yeah, we we saw that and we're like, oh my gosh, uh, because my, f- I think the, f- uh, you know, again, this is a family project, so we weren't, certainly weren't thinking of a book and a cover or anything like that. But when we, when we saw that, my sister actually bought the painting. We were we were out as at his um, gallery before it closed, and we saw that. We're like, my God, that is beautiful. Gotta and she it. bought it, and and then we thought, can we use that for the cover? Because that really reminds me. I mean, how. I remember the restaurant, except for the you know the little tiki uh, lamp. In, in I don't think you can see it in 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 that photo, but uh, there's a there's a lamp with a little hula dancer uh, in the window. He's, he took a little artistic license, which is you know a classic thing to do for an artist. But yeah, uh, yeah when he said go for it, we're like we're, we're that will definitely be the cover of that original mm-hmm. cookbook. So yeah, I love yeah, and that. then this time around. As we were solidifying things, I was like, I should probably reach out and make sure we're still allowed to use that image. So I sent him an email and just said, here's the project, like, um, we'll credit you and all that. One word response, go ahead. You know, very small town. Like, yeah, it's really cool. That's awesome. Well, I ask everybody at the end of an interview what you would eat if you knew that today was your last day on earth and you wanted to celebrate your life. Not a sad thing, a celebration. What would you eat and who would you be with? No brainer for me. It's my mom's uh, black bean pork ribs. That's mm. my all-time favorite meal uh, or dish, and it would be with her for sure. Um, and um, sadly, I still haven't learned how to make that. I, 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 although we have the recipe captured, so I certainly, um, 
you know, we'll, we'll need to learn to do that. Yeah. And, and mom is still with us, right? Mom and dad. She, so we're okay. very fortunate. We're very fortunate. My dad turns 90, as a matter of fact, on Thanksgiving Day this year. So. Happy birthday, yeah. dad. So we're, we're excited about that. And uh, yeah, no, we're very fortunate. And, and my mom is still, whenever we visit, you know, pre-COVID, mm-hmm. uh, it was multi-course meals all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's my, my sisters who are out of state, I'd send photos of the spread and they would just curse at me. <laughs> so. Sure, yeah, because that's not fair. <laughs> Andrew, what would you have? I mean, yeah, coming off that sentimental answer. Um, <laughs> In and out. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Well, so, now, hey, that, that would be a good last meal, <laughs> that's too. That's not a bad um, <laughs> my, So the, the best meal that I've had within the last year or so was actually from a restaurant called G-Love in Portland. Uh-huh. And it's a reverse steakhouse, so very, you know, trendy style. The veggie portions are bigger than the meat portions. Oh, okay. But there is this 100-ingredient salad that... What, talk to me. What is that? It's, it's, I can't even describe it. It's one of those things where you hear, okay, 100 ingredients, and then you think, okay, so they're making the, the spice that goes on it. They're yeah. making um, all the veggies that go into it, the dressing, all of it. So in total, it has 100 ingredients. And then pairing that with the steak portion, which again is a smaller portion, but it was just the best food I think I've ever had. And um, we went up to Portland a few months ago and uh, they actually were closed because of the reg- state regulations. Right. So it was it was sad to not have that, but um, the first time we had it, it just has been sitting in my mind ever since. It's incredible. That's a great title for a dish, too. Yeah. Yeah. And who's going to be there? Um, all my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, being able to sit down at family gatherings is something that we're not going to be having this year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, having having everyone around for that would be great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you'll have to play this episode for them, and it will be virtual a virtual gathering. I, you have totally closed the circle on something for me that I really love, so thank you for coming and, and chatting. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. This is fun. Thanks for tuning in to Consumed, hosted by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. You know, this season marks my 70th interview with California tastemakers, and I continue to feel lucky for getting to speak with so many cool people about flavor. As we move into 2021, please continue to lean into your local independent businesses wherever you are. They will need your support more than ever this winter. Thanks for listening and see you next time.